The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Postgraduate programs at the University of Auckland Business School help you expand your future options. Whether you want to switch careers or advance in your current field, New Zealand's number one business school can help you get there. Unlock your potential today at auckland.ac.nz forward slash business. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Welcome to The Good Citizen. I'm Jeremy Hansen, and today I'm going to be talking to landscape architect and urban designer Henry Crothers. This podcast is brought to you by Britomart, the precinct at the heart of downtown waterfront Auckland, where good citizens are always welcome. Henry Crothers is an urban designer and landscape architect who's been pivotal in the creation of many of Auckland city centre streetscapes, Wynyard Quarter, the Light Path Cycleway and West Haven's Promenade. And now his influence is expanding with work on Queen Street um, in Auckland where it meets the Waitamata, as well as significant public projects in Christchurch, Tauranga and Queenstown. Henry is the founder of LandLab, and in November, he'll travel to the World Architecture Festival in Amsterdam, where three of his firm's projects are up for awards. He's also chair of the Tamaki Makoto Design Alliance, a collaborative group of industry design professionals that advocate for good design in Auckland. Welcome, Henry. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you. You're working on projects in Auckland, Christchurch, Tauranga and Queenstown at the moment, which is really exciting stuff. Does this mean New Zealand cities and the councils that run them are waking up to how good urban design can improve everyone's experiences of urban space? Well, I think so. I mean, I think, I think all cities are now uh, learning and, and, and kind of competing with each other around the, the experiences that they offer and, and they're, they're competing like businesses do for talent and for visitation and for investment. And so um, I think, you know, they, um, you know, all these places are, are also perhaps dealing with the same problems around traffic and infrastructure and affordability and growth and how to manage those things. And so, um, you know, those places uh, outside of Auckland have the same pressures that, that Auckland does, perhaps on a on a different scale. And so, yeah, those places that we're working in uh, are investing carefully uh, and strategically in some of those things. And I think that's a great thing because I think quite often we've, we've underinvested in New Zealand and in, in our towns around around those things, around those important bits of infrastructure. So they're coming to you because they recognise the importance of urban design. But I wanted to ask you what good urban design actually is to you. So. Good question. Um, I mean, for us, it's you know, it's about it is about design, and I think sometimes urban design forgets a bit that, that it's about design, and it can be a bit scientific and a bit complicated, perhaps sometimes. So for us, it's about it's about design, it's about people, and it's about place, and it's about landscape. And we're landscape architects, and in our office, most of us are landscape architects, and so we come at urban design from uh, a view of the world that comes through the lens of of landscape and, and ecology and. And perhaps, um, you know, we like to talk about the word uh, urbanism as opposed to, to urban design, which to us is a little more fluid, a little more blurred boundaries between the disciplines of landscape architecture, of town planning, of architecture, um, that they all kind of come together in different ways and in, in sort of different weightings on different projects, depending on what the particular problems are. So, 
um, you know, that's how we we sort of approach those those projects, I guess. So we do have a, a view that um, you know places start about the landscape, and that's about the natural systems and the ecology of a place, but also about its history and its its social history and its its kind of importance in a in a broader context. It's interesting you say that because cities have often been, I guess, technically about the erasure of many of those things you're talking about, that um, landscape gets flattened or concreted over, um, streams get undergrounded um, so that they don't flood places. But you're talking about quite a different approach in that sense. Yeah, look, I think what's important to us is that we, we don't forget about those things and we, we don't think that the city somehow has a right to, to kind of just ride over the top of those things. And so we're always looking for those underlying, um, you know, the underlying geology, the natural processes, the landscape values, the, the character of a place that that we think, you know, through the lens of uh, an ecological or a landscape urbanism, can inform the the new form or the or the response to 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 a place. And I think that's um, you know perhaps a little bit about what makes us a bit different than to some of the other practices around. And um, you know, sort of the way that we we see the world as a as a really complex ecology. So it's not just a you know a natural ecology. Cities have ecologies of of people, of infrastructure, of economy, um, you know, of, of place, of social interaction. Uh, and so, you know, this idea that the city is a, is a layered, uh, complicated um, series of interactions between those things is something that we find really interesting. And I guess that's how we approach our, our work. The way you describe it makes it sound like a profession that probably wouldn't have existed in the same sense 20 years ago. So what made you want to become a landscape architect or an urban designer? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, I thought I wanted to be an architect because I was told that I was good at drawing and so I, therefore I should be an architect. And um, and I did, I started off um, at university, I did papers in architecture and town planning and, and I, I didn't, neither of them really got me. I found architecture a little limiting. Um, and in it, what way? Well, it was always about an object and, and about a, you know, a, a, a sort of a piece within the within the city, and I guess what I was interested in is always the context of of that more so than the the object. And um, I just did papers in town planning, and, and town planning found like felt a little bit like being a lawyer. You know, it was a little bit dry and and a bit boring. And um, and I didn't even know landscape architecture existed. Actually, I stumbled across it having done one year at university on doing those um, different papers, and and then I discovered landscape architecture, and I was just sort of wow, here we go. This is this is kind of it for me. And um, yeah, so I sort of switched, um, and uh, yeah, found it found it. It was kind of the right balance of 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 what I was looking for. I wanted to talk about some of the projects you've worked on so far because many of them have been quite transformative. Um, to the cities they've been in, and also to the cities' perceptions of themselves. Um, for example, Te Ara Fiti, the pink cycle path in Auckland. And um, you've also worked on Auckland's North Wharf and many other projects. Which of those stand out to you as being the most personally satisfying and why? Oh, I think, I mean, all, all the projects, you find things within them that, that kind of stick with you. I mean, I think watching... Um, you know, being involved when I was at Architectus and 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 still now in in, in projects down at Wynyard is is really rewarding to watch a, a sort of precinct emerge and then evolve and you know continue to change and 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 sort of develop over time. And I think that's um you know, that's a really interesting thing to 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 be part of. Um, I think some of the little things kind of stick out, like um down there converting the old silos into a into a venue for events and a in a place for a market. Um, and perhaps the really simple. 
act in Karanga Plaza of making those stairs down to the to the water and kind of connecting people physically with you know the Waitamataa is you know it's perhaps a really simple obvious thing to do but it hadn't been done so no it's an yeah. obvious thing but Auckland had ignored that possibility yeah. for most of its life right most yeah well we, we, we hadn't had a waterfront that you you could access I mean we had this glorious harbour well, we've got two glorious harbours and um and we haven't really connected with them um you know both in the sense of understanding who we are as a city and as a place, but also just sort of physically connecting to them. And we all go to beaches and swim and, and kind of we gather in our bays and we go and stand on our headlands and, and kind of look out. But we don't tend to have those experiences and opportunities in the in the city centre. Why do you think those things have been ignored for so long? Well, I think we've been a bit lazy. I mean, it's probably... Um, you know, part of our, we, we live in a sort of giant park at the bottom of the world. I mean, it's sort of beautiful, amazing. It's an incredible place that we, we live in with two beautiful harbours and this incredible volcanic field and an amazing culture and amazing history and and stories. Um, and, um, you know, perhaps we've focused on all of those things about, you know, what, you know, the, the, all, the, all, the, all the good things we have about, about living in this place are about the access to those landscape experiences. So, We've perhaps not given our urban experience enough thought um, to make that experience comparable with the, the natural landscape experiences. Because presumably you would agree that um, until fairly recently, Auckland as an urban form was a bit shit. <laughs> it's a technical urban design term. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we like it. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. We just hosted a, um, a German landscape architect. Um, uh, in, in Auckland the last couple of days and I sent him for a walk through the city and he came back with exactly that description of, of the city. <laughs> it's a bit shit. Um, in, in the centre of town, but I mean, it, but, but, you know, he, he walked along the waterfront and he walked through Wynyard and he, he walked around Britomart and, you know, he was amazed at, at the sort of, you know, the beauty of, of our kind of wider landscape. And I guess it's those parts of the city, um, you know, down near the waterfront that have that connection to, the harbour and, and the wider landscape in our place, it, and they, you know, then the ones that are the parts of the city that have been changing and, and um, you know, adapting to kind of a new Auckland urbanity, I guess, which is, you know, is more urban and more dense and more vibrant, and um, you know, the idea that you can recreate in the, in the city and, and not have to leave it, um, you know, is a, is a change that's been perhaps happening slowly over the last ten or twenty years. Mm. It's um, it. All the stuff that's going on at the moment, and we will talk about other parts of New Zealand in a second, but mm. makes it seem like Auckland is undergoing this startling transformation, yet we're also seeing things like North Wharf and Te Arefiti seem completely logical to people when they appear. But there's a lot of projects, not just your ones, in Auckland at the moment that, to me, have a similar sense of logic, but are being fought tooth and nail by people who are averse to change for reasons I can't quite identify. Um, so I wanted to just ask you if you felt like the city was on an exciting path at the moment or if there are kind of dark forces of nimbyism that could um, stop all this stuff if we're not really careful. <laughs> well, I mean, the city is always a sort of a contested territory. So there's, you know, there's always these debates and conversations around, um, you know, what's the right thing to do and who gets to make the decisions and, and um, you know, what is the, you know, what are the right projects for for Auckland so um, I think it's a really exciting time for Auckland I mean you know the, the we're changing a lot and a lot of that is we're doing some really good things and we're also just kind of growing and that that's a that's part of the 
the equation. We've got to find ways of kind of managing that. And we, you know, we're, we're getting people out of, out of their cars and into public transport and the, and the work that the council's doing around uh, getting people walking and riding and, um, and changing the way that the city works, I think is, is really exciting. And the, um, the work that's coming up in the city centre, well, that comes out of the city centre master plan and the work that's coming up in terms of the, the suite of projects that, that we're working on with a, a range of different consultants on the waterfront at the moment is is sort of really exciting in terms of the the change that's going to happen in the next little while. I don't think um I think it's hard often to communicate the the kind of scale or, or sense of of change that's going to happen with these projects. I think um you know a long time ago everyone thought Britomart was you know this sort of wildly crazy you know big urban project and then now it's just a part of the city and then Winyard was that and then, you know now we've got other things happening so um, it's always changing. I want to talk about your work in Christchurch as well because mm. it's quite a contrast in terms of urban space in, mm. a, um, in a post-earthquake sense. There you've been working on the city's south frame and part of the Riverside Park along the Avon um, amongst other projects. Mm. Um, do you want to talk about how that work came about and what you've been trying to achieve there? Yeah, I mean, we um, we joined a, a team of, of other consultants working on on the Avon River Park project, which um, was, was a... a uh, an upgrade, I guess, of the open space network along the river, um, also the east frame, which um, which runs along the east side of of the city centre, uh, and the south frame, which um, which is a different precinct. That, I guess less about open space; it's more, it's more a fine grained kind of urban precinct. But those three projects collectively sort of circumnavigate the the new town centre. And um, I mean, it's really interesting that to have the opportunity, I guess, to to work on. You know, a series of projects that sort of fundamentally redefine um, uh, what that city is going to be like in the future. And, and um, you know, the Avon River Park, I guess, is about changing the, the that relationship between the city and the river. And we've we've done that by uh, creating a new river's edge shared space promenade. That means that we've replaced a kind of conventional street beside the river with something that's about people and occupation and, and, and engaging in that river edge environment. Um, the East Frame is about making a kind of contemporary new urban park that is a it's a destination that's complementary to the city centre, but it also becomes a, a place uh, and a community around which we can try and build a, a new residential population in the city centre. And then the South Frame really is you know a, a collection of uh, laneways and 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 sort of urban squares and a, and a linear uh, greenway, which is a, a different scale, a finer grain, uh, sort of a more gritty kind of urban precinct and and they all have a different kind of relationship with the, the city centre um, and um, so look that's been a, it's been a really kind of exciting um, sequence of, of projects and um, you know it's a Christchurch is an interesting place it's sort of it's got a long way to go needs a lot more love yet to, to kind of get there yeah I was wondering that because the, the through the media the uh, image you get of the Christchurch rebuild all the primary emotion I guess is one of frustration that seems to come across but the vision you're describing and the projects that you've been working on um, makes it sound like it's going to be quite an exciting place to be. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to take time. I mean, I think that, you know, Christchurch doesn't have the the challenges that Auckland has around growth and, you know, there's, there's not people sort of flocking to Christchurch and, and the sort of numbers that people are arriving in Auckland. And so I think it'll take a lot longer for, for some of those projects to sort of be um, built out or built around and, and sort of used in the way that they've been imagined that they'll be used. Um, and so perhaps you won't see the, the new Christchurch might not emerge for another 10 years or so. One thing we've seen in Christchurch and Auckland is that both those cities have been to um, a large extent designed for the needs of motorists um, in the last 50 years or more. Mm. Do you see the work that you do as partly 
correcting um, the overreach of traffic engineers to make cities more about being places for people rather than places for cars to drive through easily? Is that a, Does that factor into your thinking in a big way? Yeah, I mean, I think that's always our job to sort of advocate for, um, it's not to be anti-car, but I think it's a, a lot of the time it's about rebalancing and, and reprioritizing. Um, and perhaps, um, you know, through the middle part of, of the, the, the last century, we've kind of perhaps lost our, lost our way a little bit, lost that balance. And I think, you know, most of our projects really uh, are about, um, you know, the reallocation of space uh, to people and um, and to public transport and to to walking and and, and to cycling and I think um you know we, we we're kind of addicted to cars in New Zealand and we've you know we we embrace things uh, quickly you know and and we embrace the car um, pretty quickly and um, pretty significantly and um uh, and so now we're learning to kind of let go a little bit and we're um you know we're we're in rehab and um, um <laughs> so you, know, you think people are learning to let go well I think I think so but I think you know it doesn't happen it just it doesn't happen by itself I mean I think that you know the um you know in Auckland the, the council are doing a fantastic job around um you know making the changes that support um you know people to have to leave their car at home or to choose to leave their car at home. And there's a whole lot of levers that you've got to pull to actually make people make those decisions. And, um, um, you know, and I see people that I know who have been, you know, staunch um, car drivers, you know, sort of catching the bus in the morning into work and, um, you know, saying things like, oh, it's just not worth me bringing my car in anymore. And I think, you know, that's that's a really significant change and that will then lead to a, a whole lot of other things and people will start to realise that there is this connection between, you know, walking and occupying a city um, and, and the quality of your experience. It's not about cars. And, um, you know, I think it's um, – I always find that it's really difficult in, in, in our city to take photographs of it without cars in it. And it's part of, um, you know, it's part of our identity almost. You, know, you see people on TV in other cities and, and you see someone standing there in a, in a beautiful space or a beautiful street and with some, some good architecture behind them. But it's really difficult in Auckland to find a place where you can take a photo without a car or a, and without an orange cone at the moment as well. And I think, um, you know, so we need more of those spaces where, where you can promenade and you can walk and you can, um, I guess you can have a range of experiences without needing to think about where's the car parked or how do I get back to the car and, and just be in the city. And, um, and, and, uh, we've got some of those and, you know, parts of Britomart and the waterfront, um, do that and we need a lot more. Speaking of scenic vistas, you've also been working on a master plan for Queenstown, mm. a place which has, um, very different and specific needs to Auckland and Wellington. Um, Tell me about the work you're doing there and, and what you're trying to achieve for the town. Yeah, I mean, Queenstown's really just a little microcosm of, of the problems that Auckland has, really, around transport, around infrastructure, um, around uh, cars, um, and the dominance of, of, the, of cars within the city centre, and, and also issues around growth and, and affordability. So um, the work on the master plan is really about creating a, a vision for a new town centre that is um, more connected with, with other options in terms of how you move around the city and also how you move around the region. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to try and get people to... to um, and you know, it's I've always felt um, kind of hypocritical because I, I would do exactly what I was advocating for people not to do when I was going down there, which is you arrive at the airport, you get your rental car, and you drive into the city. Um, but there's no other options at the moment, and um, um, so you know, we, we, that's part of what we're doing is trying to create a, a transport network that. Uh, gives people those choices, that gives people the ability to ride a bike or, or walk or catch a bus, um, not just around the town centre, but to all those other great places around Queenstown. And it's also about, you know, fundamentally trying to make it a town centre that's walkable um, and um, and where you can have really great urban experiences. And, and again, it's about trying to get the the quality of the urban experience and the offerings in the town centre on a, on a kind of level pegging with, with what's out there in this sort of beautiful natural landscape. 
urban design um, at times gets accused of being a, or urbanism gets accused of being a profession that is kind of um, creating nice spaces for a leisured class, whether they be cruise ship passengers or affluent people who can come and hang out and shop and go to cafes and um, have a good time. But it, um, as a tool of gentrification, um, rather than catering, catering to a, um, the majority of the population. You, you've also strongly advocated for urban design principles, such as we've been talking about, to be used universally in um, housing developments, a lot of which are being built um, currently under this government. Do you want to talk about that theory and whether you feel that the tools of urbanism are unevenly applied and how they can also apply in kind of in housing context, context such as the huge rollout that Housing New Zealand is planning at the moment under KiwiBuild? Mm. I mean, I think, you know, for us, for us, we probably work more in, in these sort of urban environments rather than the housing. But I, I think, um, um, you know, one of the challenges around urban design is it's so, so kind of broad, you know, that, that, that there is, um, you know, there's, there's really important issues around how you build good housing and make good communities and um, how you make good places that, that um, support that. Um, and there's, you know, there's lots of good, um, lots of good, theories and there's lots of good guidelines and there's lots of good material. I mean, sometimes there's sort of so much that it's kind of confusing, you know, that there's a lot of, there's a lot of material that we now have here, you know, we're starting to build our own precedents, I guess, which is really important. I think a long time ago, we didn't even have, uh, you know, we relied on taking pictures of things we saw in Sydney or Melbourne or in Europe or, you know, on our holidays and say, we want to create these kind of things. I think what's becoming uh, really useful is we've now got our own precedents of things that have been successful and places that have worked really well. And we can, we can show those examples to people and they can, they have seen them themselves and, and they can understand them. And I think, you know, that, that, that's as important to me, I think, as having the rules and the guidelines and, and, and those kind of things because I think a lot of it's about just common sense and it's about it's about good just about good design and it's not always about a, a manual or, or a rule book um, and I think perhaps that's you know those sorts of kind of um, uh, course kind of um, methods of being perhaps why we've got uh, in part got the some of the, the city outcomes that we've we've had in the past you know we have to find uh, new ways of, of doing things and we have to find a kind of we have to find our way of doing things. We have to find an Auckland way of doing things. And so that's, that's you know, we're kind of privileged in the sense of being able to be at the bottom of the world and look up and we can kind of pick all the good things that people have done and we, we can hopefully sort of also avoid some of the mistakes that, that other people have made. It's not sort of always always the case, but, um, uh, yeah, we, we, we do have that luxury. And how do we ensure then that those principles that you're talking about are applied equally um outside the places where tourists might like to take a picture of Auckland mm. looking beautiful and um, are creating communities and centres that, you know, appealing communities and centres that may not be visited by tourists at mm. all. Well, look, I think some really exciting things going on, um, you know, outside of Auckland and, and, and in terms of conversations with the government around um, some national standards around planning and, and urban design, which means that, you know, everyone has access to, to good design and good designers and, and good outcomes. And I think, you know, the, the learnings of um, some of the projects in Auckland, you know, apply equally, uh, you know, nationally. And I think that's really important. Um, I think um, I'm, I'm part of a group called the Tamaki Makarao Design Alliance, as, as you mentioned earlier on. And, you know, we are a, a group of industry design professionals um, across all the different disciplines of architecture, urban design, planning, landscape. Um, uh, what else have we got? And then AHO, the Māori Design Network, um, the universities um, and, and Auckland Council, uh, Designers Institute of New Zealand as well. Um, and, you know, we, we're about trying to work together with our, across the different disciplines so that we can kind of align our, our efforts into um, 
supporting each other, being more aware of what everyone's up to, what everyone's issues are, um, kind of educating ourselves and creating opportunities to kind of learn and, and network from each other so that we're, we're sort of more aligned about what, what we're trying to do um, and we're communicating better. It's interesting you're talking about that, um, which paints this picture of um, urbanism being a fundamentally collaborative endeavour. And you also mentioned how when you were at architecture school, um, it didn't really get you going. And I was thinking about that time, you know, architects were still perceived as this one usually, you know, white male um, telling everybody how it was going to be. Uh, the profession you're describing is quite different to that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, architecture and, and perhaps, you know, certainly modern architecture has kind of created this mythology of a, a you know, a middle-aged white man, genius, creative, who has these sort of bursts of um, of creativity and scribbles a little diagram on a, on a piece of paper. And, I, you know, I think, um, I mean, you know, I think that's mostly um, not the case. It's not true and um you know you design urban design and urbanism is is fundamentally a, a collaborative thing you need all those different disciplines to be working together um um and and but but you also need leadership and you you know so as as an urban designer i guess you, you have to learn when when to stand up and and say what you think and and when to lead and and when to sit back and listen and when to let someone else step in and and offer their, their area of expertise and so you need all of those parts um, working together, and so um, it isn't. A, it certainly isn't a, a singular thing, um, but it does require, um, you know, it does require some leadership and, and some um, some skills and, and some sort of ability to kind of navigate your way through these kind of complicated processes. You worked on the revamp of Auckland's Queen Street, where um, people have forgotten about this now because the pedestrian volumes through that space are so much higher mm. than they were. But um, it was a raging battle on the pages of the New Zealand Herald for months that. You know, retailers were terrified their trade was going to get terribly affected um, during and after the work. And there was a general sense of change aversion. Um, do you feel that bit by bit successful projects like that help you win arguments um, for proposing new projects in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, touching on what I said before, I mean, I think we've got some of our own examples of, of success now. I mean, I think Queen Street is really interesting. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I think that that process, um, if you did it today, would, would have a very different outcome to, to what we had, um, you know, 10 years ago. How so? Um, well, like, I think that just the, the kind of culture around um, an understanding of, of what we need to you know, the sort of environment we need to make in Queen Street um, uh, is different. I think the, the kind of mechanisms in place within the council to, to make something like a, a bolder vision for Queen Street um, happen are, are in place. I think when we were working on that project, we were literally going around and sort of knocking on people's doors and trying to get them to contribute and, and review drawings. And we didn't have these design review processes and we didn't have a, an Auckland design office and we didn't have a city centre master plan and we didn't have, um, you know, the, the whole range of people that, that you need to make something like that. That happen and and um, so I think we did the, the sort of best job that we could at the time, but I think I think you do a very different um, uh, job on it now, and I think it's pleasing to see that there's recently been some some more discussion about what the future of, of Queen Street is because I think it's you know it's sort of it was I think people forget how bad it was I mean it was atrocious and um, and so now it's okay and um, and but it could be amazing. So you're talking about possible pedestrianisation. Would you be in favour of pedestrianising some blocks or all? Yeah, oh, ab absolutely. I mean, I think um, you know, and uh, I mean, I'm not the the traffic expert, but I think um, you know, Queen Street's function. Um, it, well, I think that. I think it's always been thought of that, it, that its function was about moving vehicles around, and, and it's not really about that anymore. Um, it's not as important as a 
a part of the, the city centre network as it as it once was. And so I think that it gives you the opportunity to, to make some of those changes. And I think we also now understand the the tools around um, placemaking and tactical urbanism and um, strategic activation or whatever you want to call it, the, where we you know you can start to do some of those things you know sometimes and uh, as a way of introducing change slowly. Um, and so you know the idea that you could close parts of the street on weekends or on evenings or and work towards a, a more transformational change is, is something that would be a, a great outcome. I'm not citing this example as a universal truth, but when I was a kid, I grew up near Hastings and the council there pedestrianised three blocks of the main street sometime in the 80s. And it actually did kill mm. um, a lot of the retail there because people were so accustomed in that small town to kind of parking outside a shop in their cars. Um, that kind of example... Do you think it would still happen in most kind of cities in New Zealand now if you did that sort of pedestrianisation, or do you just have to approach it on a case by case basis? Yeah, I, mean, I think you, you need. I mean, you need density, and you need a you know you need footfall, you need people, and you need movement to to kind of make a, a, a more environment work. And um, you know, so I think a lot of those small places probably would, would still struggle because it, it, it changes that, and people have choices and will stay in their car and just drive a bit further and. Go somewhere else where they can park right outside, and they'll go to the mall, and they'll they'll do those other things. So you know, we've been doing work in Tauranga. They fundamentally have that problem. They've made it so easy to get around Tauranga, um, and there's so many shopping centres where you can park right outside the door of wherever you're going that people have stopped going to the to the city centre. And so you know, we're working there to try and improve that the city centre in the same way that you know Auckland's doing shared spaces and um, you know changing the way that you access the city centre through transport to, to kind of you know change those things. So, so I think. What are you proposing specifically for Tauranga? Uh, well, um, we've done a, a bit of work on a on a master plan for the city centre, um, which I guess is a you know like a, a longer term strategy for for how investment in transport and um, public realm and and private development can kind of um, be organised over the next twenty years to create something, um, and and the idea that um, Tauranga. Um, you know, it's a bit of a donut. You know, all the action happens sort of around the middle, and um, not much happens in the middle. Um, is that, you know, it's a city that's on the waterfront um, or on the water's edge, but it's sort of, you know, it's cut itself off from that and it's kind of forgotten about those things. So it's a, you know, like a lot of these master plan documents, it's, um, it's just, it's the process is as important as a document that you, you get everyone together to, to work towards a, a kind of a common vision or a common strategy. And then, and then a whole lot of things can kind of fall into place to, to make that happen. Speaking of that, the other day you said that New Zealand in general, we need to stop chickening out of doing good things. And I wanted to ask you how we do stop doing that. Um, what is it that can kind of short-circuit that process where people get afraid and they opt for the status yeah. quo? Well, I think maybe there's not enough people who know who, who think that that's the case. Um, so um, <laughs> that might be part of it. But I think, um, you know, we we perhaps have a culture uh, or we have a, you know, a, a new culture of kind of design review and design um, processes that we, that we put in place. But but perhaps a lot of the time that, that tends to lead us to being a bit conservative and, you know, a bit safe. I mean, we've sort of got this Anglo-Saxon kind of, you know, a heritage, I guess, which kind of causes us to be a little bit little bit like that perhaps in the first place. But I think, um, um, you know, we don't have the traditions of making cities and spaces that, that say, the Europeans have. They've been doing it for thousands of years and we're still, we're still kind of learning how to do that. And um, so I think sometimes the design review process tends to sort of dilute down what you're doing a little bit and um, you know we're not um, our design community or, or culture perhaps isn't isn't sort of strong 
as it, as it could be around enabling kind of new ideas and, and, and people trying to do uh, different things to kind of happen because the people that are kind of making a lot of those decisions um, aren't, aren't perhaps fluent in, in some of the, the conversations about good design. It sounds like you're saying the design community has been beaten into submission. Is that the case? <laughs> oh, I was trying to sort of step around that um, <laughs> kind of nicely um, without offending anyone. And I'm not, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but I think, you know, we, it's more a commentary on um, you know, again, um, you know, Martin, who was here the other day from Germany. I mean, Berlin is this incredibly vibrant place. It's a, um, which is where he works, um, and um, it's sort of an urban laboratory where everyone sort of tries stuff. But it's inc- they're also incredibly um, <clears throat> sophisticated and and um, intelligent, and they've been doing it for a long time. And and there's a real kind of culture of design and, and conversations that happen around projects. And um, you know, he, he showed us a whole lot of projects that were incredibly uh, witty and and humorous and and kind of bold and sometimes slightly nonsensical. And and I just I don't I don't think any of those things could have happened here because there'll be too many people that came in and said, "Well, you can't." And um, and I think we've got to learn to kind of you know to try things and, and fail a little bit and um, and sometimes this is this is also about the way in which we deliver projects because we tend to kind of you know we go we need a project and we, we we go well how much is that and so we go and get that much money and then we spend that much money on a project and and then we tend to kind of walk away from it and we don't we don't go back and we don't revisit it and we don't upgrade it and we or we don't think about how a place might evolve over time because we've got to spend the money and and just finish it so the stakes um, get quite high but also you don't get to, there's no money to kind of revisit those things and make sure you, know, well, you don't come back until you get another bunch of funding in 20 years time and I think so I think you know the things that are happening in, in Britomart and in the city centre and places like when you know this idea of curation and placemaking is is you know is part of that um, conversation I think you know designing things well so that they are flexible and adaptable and, and responsive to to change over time is, is equally important in that in that conversation and and um, as you mentioned before it's not about making spaces for sort of the, the privileged people it's about making spaces that are going to work for everybody um, and you can't anticipate everything so you have to kind of you know you have to have kind of a loose fit um, and and you have to be you have to have design strategies that don't hang their hat on particular things because those things might change and, and go away and so um, you know, flexibility and adaptability and thinking strategically about how things evolve is, is really important. That's a really good place to end it. Thanks very much, Henry. Thanks, Jeremy. Jeez. And thanks to all of you for listening to The Good Citizen. Um, the podcast's been brought to you by Bredemart, nine blocks of eclectic urbanity at the heart of downtown waterfront Auckland. We'll be back in a month with a conversation with Fontaine moses Dakani, who's going to be talking about her innovative work in building diversity at one of the country's biggest firms, Matewa. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Kia ora e te iwi, Tiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate.
The Spin-Off Podcast Network.